I have never heard the term deep ass dive. Um, <laughs> I guess it does kind of <laughs> suggest uh, a uh, a saucy, uh, maybe a risque nature, p- perhaps. I don't know. I don't it, know if this part's does. on the pod. <laughs> Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to yet another episode, our first off-season episode, although it doesn't feel like the off-season still because of the the rumor mill and the trade season, free agency, and Russell Westbrook plays for the Lakers. I can't figure out what's going on. And then, of course, there's a draft. So to help hold my hand and walk me through it all, uh, my unofficial therapist the film <laughs> the the film uh, aficionado of the ringer youtube legend dime drop the one and only jay kyle man what an intro man that was uh i i feel like i'm in your debt for that you really went above and beyond with your your adjectives and uh, calling me your therapist at i don't one know where point. it came from it just came out of me <laughs> i've heard that one before i um <laughs> You, uh, you said something that 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 is interesting to me. Did you have this moment after the finals were over? It took me a minute to like really actualize that they were that the NBA season was over. Like it took me like a few days where I, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, it was almost like like going through some kind of um, I don't know. Like we went on the Oregon Trail or something. That's yes. what it feels. It felt like that kind of a journey. Yes, because the two seasons blended together. Was that your right. experience? A hundred percent. And in fact, I realized in talking through this with someone I've mentioned, I think on this show before, it kind of was three seasons because one of those seasons had two two big parts. So it was like we started in nineteen, we went into twenty, we paused in twenty. The key for a lot of people, but certainly for what we do, is we didn't know when we were going to start back up. So we're just sitting there waiting. I'm doing historical stuff, trying to figure out what's going to track forward. Then you started back up. Then there was no pause. And then we went into the second season, which was like the third thing. And that went, I think, for you know a while that was okay. But Seth Partnow had a great point a couple weeks ago when I had him on, which is, the dog days of January were now like taking place in April and May, which was really dis. You're like, Whoa, wait, March Madness is over, and what's going on? We're on game fifty-one in like Cleveland on on Wednesday, it, it, and then yeah, I I really haven't processed that the season's over, but it did get weird with like Euro tournaments going on in July during the NBA Finals and things like that. Yeah, I. Um... I definitely had to take a a beat there and and realize what was happening or just fully compute. I I know that like especially during you you made a good point during the the time the break during 2020 we didn't really like take like a full breather like it wasn't we didn't embrace that it was an off season because we didn't know what was happening we were like it's just this just the new world I mean the, these are things we can tell our kids about years from now but I know you and I both just started hammering the historical stuff. You continued to do it even into the season. God bless your heart. Uh, you, <laughs> what a feat. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't know how you pulled that off. Um, so, I yeah, still haven't it, recovered. So Clearly, you're blowing your nose. You need to go get tested, <laughs> man. Uh, I think... I think that's why it just it felt like such a journey is because you didn't have that break there. So, I, I, I mean, I'm encouraging. I hope people will... Uh, take some time but like you said that like 
basketball today, and we knew this in the pre-COVID world that you know basketball today does not stop. They turned stop. it into a they've turned it into a year-round thing, but now like the intensity of the actual schedule is carrying is weighing even more heavily. So it just it feels like uh, I don't know. And, and we're starting back up in October. You know, training camp starts in late September. Is that what I Today is July 30th. I'm I'm pretty certain we're starting up training camp in like a week or two. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my expectation. Um, you you know, the draft was last night. We could talk about the draft. You you, of course, have done an extensive amount of work over the years on the draft. And one of the things that um, I ended up finding your work years ago on YouTube was like these young players and these up and coming developing players. So, I mean, we could talk about that, but are you curious about any of the players? You're not curious even just a little bit? I'm not curious yet, Uh, but here's here's what we we had bounced around before we started recording here, which was that I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about this. I'm not curious yet. What does that mean? What do you mean you're not curious? What's going to make you curious? For me me personally? What? Yeah, you you can't just skirt past that. Well, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be like a summer league clip that I inevitably am drawn toward like a moth to the flame. And I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to see some guy I don't recognize that pops on screen and I'm going to go, Oh, who's that? And then it's going to be like the sixth pick in the draft or something. It's going to be Jonathan Kaminga or I guess he was the seventh pick, but that's sort of how it ends up working for me where then I become curious. That's odd to me. Uh, you don't have any interest. I, you know, every basketball fan is <laughs> I different. Strange. I know. I know every every there are different little pockets. I know I've sort of gravitated to a pocket of people who follows it as early as we can, and then all the way through. That's part of the fun for me. I I, I start. It's part of the developmental. You know, the evaluation process for me too, which has been an interesting conversation with people around the draft to hear people be up and down because. It's interesting that like a lot of people really do just intensely look at basketball through the the prism of the NBA and they're not interested in looking at the other stuff. To me it's to me it's endlessly fascinating just cuz I'm into development though, you know, and I know a lot of other people are too. Um I well, okay. I, don't think, I couldn't do it the way that you do it though. Uh, but but development applies it, it just like, you know, the, the AJ Soprano's uh guidance counselor says in the Sopranos. Uh you know, education shouldn't stop when school is over. So, you know, I think that development continues well into adulthood. So I, I just look at it as a more end-to-end thing. Like, Well, when do it. you start, though? Because I, I feel like I'm going the other way. I feel like I used to watch as early as possible, which back in the day for me didn't give you a lot of access to high school. Um, but you could certainly hear about high school players. The McDonald's All-American game was a landmark event. I don't even know if people watch that anymore. It's a piece of shit. No. Yeah. It, um, it's not worth watching. So things have certainly changed where you can have access younger and younger. But in a way, that along with the radically different structure of college basketball, even the different structure of international basketball, has sort of moved me toward I'm going to focus... A, I'm going to focus more on the NBA... But B, when it comes to development, I'm not going to spend as much time looking at eighth graders, if that makes sense. So, like, where do you draw the line when you go back and start to track players? I mean, I, I like some Amani Bates footage when he was like 14 years old. But you're such a casual man. It's a uh, I know casual. It's I hate hearing it. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> it, it honestly starts. I don't go back that far. I I go to like. Once the guys start to kind of play in like U sixteen, U fifteen, like high school, 
uh, we have people out there that are sort of rounding the talent into groups and identifying prominent players and and tapping those people as players to watch. I think once they get to the summer tournaments, once they get to the USA basketball program, we've got a pretty good idea of roughly who it is. Players will float in and out of that. Um, that's that's kind of when honestly that's all I have bandwidth for. I, and all the access to video has not entirely been healthy for me. Uh, it's kind of catnip. <laughs> I know the other day I you know you you texted me about my brunch and you were just grilling me. I I, tw- I tweeted a photo of my brunch. Ben Taylor out of the no- out of nowhere four time zones away just starts grilling me about my brunch. I he, he has never he hasn't shown this much interest in anything basketball related in months. This is He's, this is the catnip for me. Yes, that's what all, I was going to say. Catnip. All of a sudden you're the, tweeting like Louisville brunch spots and I had to, man. I and had to. and just you know so my food food nerds understand he tweets um, a very nice picture of his brunch but with absolutely zero descriptors and that to me without even thinking about it is like oh a puzzle what what kind of cheese is on those mm, what is that that's a starch Gruyere. what is that starch yeah Gruyere, isn't that how you pronounce it uh it was Gr- Gruyere. it was Gruyere. 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 uh <laughs> starting to sound like kendrick perkins it's trying to say Moses Moody. Uh, anyway, Gruer. It was it was Gruyer, <laughs> polenta, <laughs> and it had com- two soft. It had two uh, soft boiled eggs on it, and it had sour cream. Very good, delicious. Anyway, it was. That, I'm saying that that was your catnip, youth basketball. Not youth like middle school, but like you know pre grassroots basketball is catnip for me. Sixteen, I can't get sixteen years of it. old, something like that. Yes, and having yeah. access to going back to watching NBA players and kind of just tracking where they started, where they where they are, where they're going. That's just really fun to me. Oh, I, okay, let me ask you something there. For me, another move away from that has just been seeing the difference between guys at 16. Like, think about the aging curve. If we, if we track NBA players' careers, we have this aging curve of like, oh, they start a little rough and then they get better and then they hit their prime and they kind of roughly sustain their prime and then at a certain age they fall off and that varies for different players and my awareness of that stuff has gotten better because through our conversations because your historical work has been so specific and has shined more good process i think into my process through you know seeing your sort of evaluations of like historically where guys the the graph that you're talking about that like i even said it in my like daily mailman the man Ladies and gentlemen, just stands on the porch. I think he knows that he has to know. That's Boogie Cousins barking in the background. Lord Almighty. Okay, so I think the thing I was saying was, even recently in work that I've done on like you know draft prospects, I've thought about like what is this guy going to be in the twenty six to twenty nine thirty range right, because right. of our yep. conversations, and I think those things help frame ceilings. Um, and maybe maybe you know other people have done that in the past, but for me it's been much more about age as opposed to ye- much more about age as opposed to year in the league things like that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I appreciate that. That's that's always good to hear. But I think what I've noticed over the years, and I wonder if you think this has changed. This is what I was going to ask you. Back in the day, someone being really good at sixteen or seventeen didn't necessarily dictate they were going to be good at 22. But the flip side is a lot of guys, and I think about this when I look at prospects every year in the draft, even from a distance, like I haven't done any deep dives on any of these guys yet. 
if you're 19 or 20 years old and you have like great athleticism, but terrible feel and awareness and all this other stuff, the odds of you being a really great basketball player historically are almost zero. Yeah. It's extremely difficult to be that old and come because the difference between 15 and 16 and 20 is the physical maturity, both with your brain and your body. But if you're 20 years old, 21 years old, you're playing high level basketball. This is all you've been doing for the last X number of years. And I, I turn on the game and it's like, yeah, you're a great athlete. You can get spots. You can jump over people, but you're just not that good at basketball. It's extremely unlikely you're going to be really good at basketball when you're 23 or 26 or 29. Yeah, the odds are against you. And I think some of our work kind of overlaps and kind of informs this a little bit too because, you know, we talked about like we've we, I, the the sort of skill sets when they come into you, when, when they come into your life. I've thought about this a lot even with my own son, trying to teach him touch, trying to think, you know, things like that. I'm um, going to be thinking about that a lot more. You're teaching more. your newborn child touch already? Do you I've have tried to – well, I try to put him in the position – I. One of the things that I've been doing, I told you about this, is he has these um, tops that I'll spin, and I try to, and I'll spin three of them at a time, and at different spaces. I'm not like trying to like game my son into becoming a good. I'm just trying to teach him like hand-eye coordination. I think you are. I think I that's think what's it, happening. This what's podcast it hurt? is about infant what's it gonna development hurt? in basketball. What's it going to hurt? I'm not going to become the, the Todd Marinovich dad. That's not on the line here. Whatever he wants to do, in all likelihood, he'll hate basketball. That's fine. Whatever whatever he's into, I'll be into it front row. So, But what I'll do is I'll like spin these. <laughs> these times sound so ridiculous saying it out loud. I'll spin these tops in front of him in threes. To see, to get, and I'll watch his eyes and his hands track them, and I'll try to get him to grab them. He's a year old. It's pretty fascinating to watch. But anyway, we talked. You know, we talked about what, speaking to what you were saying about if you don't have those processes already, sort of um, software integrating with your hardware at a certain age, um, it is very difficult. Because in the in the box plus minus study that I've referenced several times over everywhere um, reflects that. You know, sort of the on ball decision making stuff. If you start from a very, very low point at your starting point at, let's say, a lot a lot of the time it's 19-ish. A lot of the guys are 20 uh, in the one-and-done era. You know, when you compare it against high schoolers, you know, they're 19. But if you start at, like, negative 6 BPM in your rookie year, and by year two, if you're not up to, like, zero or, yep. like, or like yep. negative .7 somewhere in there, I'm, and these aren't just random numbers. This is, These are real, real numbers historically. Um you're probably not going to be good like you were talking about. And one of the big examples in this draft is the guy that the Warriors took at seven. I don't know if you followed this at all. Jonathan Kaminga. I mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Oh, did you? Did I, I brain fart on that? You Sorry. did. I said Kaminga at seven. I said the Warriors okay. took him at seven. And I saw uh, something about him came up on my timeline, and it included a handful of clips. Oh, and I know what it was. I actually watched uh, KOC's video a little bit on The Void. Um, that like linked over there or something. So I got to see a little bit of Kaminga. And that's that's like me putting my feet in the water for a player is I'll usually just want to get a quick feel and then I'll start watching film if I'm more interested. So I, I get, I think where you're going with him is this idea that he he has great sort of, um, what do we call them, measurables at this point. <laughs> is that the term we're using? I feel like that's a uh, American football term that's been borrowed, but but the feel maybe isn't quite there. Yes, and you know, as we know, measurables at lower levels, if not guided properly, if not, you know, you you kind of need to have 
people putting you in a good people guiding you in the right direction to put you in the position to play good competition at the right times. I, I've been I, watching the G League. I, I got into. I, I wanted to go into a big discussion about this in my video, but it was already. I it was like sixteen minutes. I had to cut it to like thirteen, and I was like, this stuff's staying. But I wanted to talk about. It's an interesting experiment, the G League, because how often are you going to get pro-level players unless you like have a college program and you just schedule a bunch of exhibition games against like international teams? How often are you going to get your 18 to 21-year-olds in the position to play against these more mature you know, because a lot of mental maturing goes on during that time too, like you talked about. Guys, guys at a certain age just flat out cannot focus for an entire clock like that's you watch a lot of these guys so you measure you stack the focus part of of it up against they just don't have the reps to know um how to play zone defense off on the weak side of the ball or where my rotation is if the ball goes here you see that a lot with like Kaminga he's definitely a guy I've heard a lot of stories about like what Sean Kemp was like when he was younger, that he just would just bully people. Um, Kim, Kuminga in another era would have been interesting because he might have been able to get get away with a little more bullying, but he is a big physical specimen. Not specimen. I've been trying to get that out of, out of my He's a specimen. Yes. He is. He's, he's a great athlete. Um, he's a guy that his feel has to come a, a ways, as we say in Kentucky. He's a ways away. So um, <laughs> here we go. We'll see if he gets there. When Kyle gets excited, he switches into his uh, deep Kentucky drawl. So hopefully we can... Deep Kentucky drawl. Yeah, there it is. We can just get the entire podcast. That sounds like a cartoon character that I can't quite place right now. Um, can you think of anyone off the top of your head who historically really struggled with those things at like... I mean, even back in the old days, they would have been in college, but really struggled with those things at 19 or 20 or even 21 and then ended up becoming a really great player. I think it's harder on defense. The irony that everyone tries to pick out the next Draymond Green. Oh. And it's like, that that's the hardest diamond in the rough to find because Draymond Green played... Did he play all four at Michigan State? At least three. He played three I, or four. I, actually, I can't remember. I, I was going through, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I was going through and watching footage because there's been a lot of talk about Scotty Barnes, this guy from Michigan, or uh, from Florida, Florida State, State. Yeah. Uh, who is sort of the other side of the coin from Kuminga. He's like a big, physical, like great, great measurements, long wingspan. He projects as he falls into this, what I call a comp tractor beam where like a revolutionary player comes along and we just assume what we do when what we do when we compare to players like Draymond is we immediately reveal a fundamental lack of understanding about what makes them good. And you'll even hear pros do this to themselves sometimes when they talk about their career in the past. Be like, yes, you had no yes. idea why you were good. Yes, um, it's really funny. But Draymond's a really funny one just because. I mean, yeah, he he did have some good measurements, but uh, like the great wingspan, you know, the the frame that could you know stop up rolling bigs. But his brain was special. It should be studied by basketball science. Uh, and, and he just, his wiring um, made him special. I was, I was trying to think about like athletes like you were talking about. With Scotty Barnes, I went back and watched uh, as much college footage as I could of Draymond shooting the ball at, Dr at Michigan State. And then I went back and watched as much. P.J. Tucker, who became like a mid-30s, I think he even hit 40% as a three-point shooter at one point with the Rockets, didn't he? Or, am I remembering? 
I, but he only shoots from the corner, so that's a whole nother like I, one spot on the floor. That counts. That's spacing. I'll take it. Um, sure, I'm sure. not. We're not running him off of screens or anything. It's fine. Um, but he—that's a guy who didn't shoot a three in organized basketball until he was like 24. Like that's that's a fact. So those are examples. I really think it comes down to the person. I, you know, I heard Mike Schmitz make the, make the point that like Jalen Brown is an interesting um, sort of benchmark for Kuminga, a guy who came into the league when I watched Jalen Brown in high school and at Cal. I was just like, this guy just doesn't know how to play. Like it was, it was he was a really, really insanely impressive athlete. The distance that he has made up, you you know, you being a, a, a mass a mass hole, um, could comment on this. <laughs> oh man, ouch! I mean, you probably paid pretty close attention to Jalen. I've done some things on him here and there, but he came into the league with some real ball skill challenges. I I think this his, this is an understatement. Yes, I just would tell people the man cannot dribble. Couldn't dribble at all. Uh, tiny hands, uh, but he's come a long way. What did you call me? <laughs> Not you. Sorry, never. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry. But he's he's an example. It, it's hard to compare these guys on this front, though, because the person manning the ship really just makes an enormous difference. You know, if the person, if the player is wired to be self aware enough to, to sort of balance that, like eternal you know eternal insane confidence that it takes to be at that level but also have the self-awareness to be like i gotta keep going back i gotta keep going back um that's really difficult or understanding the process uh, being able to identify and then work through so um it was i'm oh my gosh i'm totally blanking on the name of the the author i was listening to i'm gonna try to have his co-author on the show um later was it malcolm gladwell no it was not malcolm gladwell it was um (laughs) I'll get it later. I'll get it later. But he was he's also a consultant with the Warriors and he was talking about when Steve Kerr was there, uh, excuse me, Steve Nash was there consulting as well with Golden State. He asked Nash about his development process, a phenomenal development story and process. Uh, Nash always good, you know, when he was in college at Santa Clara, but the development he had through his 20s was incredible. And he said it was one of the only times and he he consults and works in all sports hockey uh i think football like soccer even maybe like a ton of sports across the globe he said it was one of the only times an athlete had had their own blueprint in their head and he's like boy if it were only that easy if you could just ask other athletes like how did you develop into this most of the time they have no idea they have absolutely no sort of self-tracking um you know the, the i think the fancy the fancy term would be the, the meta awareness or metacognition to like track their weaknesses and then their growth patterns and habits through them. But apparently like Nash had it all laid out. Nash was like, I don't know. My left hand was this. So I did this drill. And then I've did for passing. I had the box on my head and like, you know, of course th- those guys are one in a, those guys are one in a million. Basically. One question I get all the time is what is the best way for me to move into basketball as a career, media side, analytics, whatever it is. And the single best recommendation I always have is Sports Business Classroom. Mike De La Rosa, the Thinking Basketball video coordinator, went through SBC, as did Rob Antle. He runs our community Discord and now works in sports. They are both alums of this program. And if you don't know it, SBC is an immersive program at the NBA Summer League, right in the smack middle of it, in the Thomas and Mack Center that 
basically gives you a professional crash course in breaking into pro basketball. There's analytics instruction, film study, basketball operations, the media side, and it's a great way to network with people already working in the league and covering the league. There are former players, former front office members. They have former GM Ryan McDonough, Seth Partnow, Kirk Goldsbury, and many more. And I have a great deal right now for anyone interested in this. You can get $200 off with the promo code THINKINGBASKETBALL when you sign up at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. It's www.sportsbusinessclassroom.com. SBC runs from August 9th through August 14th at Summer League. If you sign up before August 1st, you get early registration pricing. And of course, Thinking Basketball promo code will give you $200 off. Head on over to www.sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And as always, supporting our sponsors is a fantastic way to help support this show course it's important too to think about environment you know people have talked a lot about donovan mitchell had a had a parent who was a professional athlete steve nash his dad was a semi-professional soccer player if i'm not mistaken or a pro i think right wasn't he a pro soccer player that sounds right um how dare you not know we, that? it's um, 2021 we don't need to fact check anything um they'll do I'm, it for you they'll they'll fact check us and, <laughs> and let us know on the internet how I'm wrong sure they are. will yeah, yeah. There are people who remember adjectives that I used in like video titles. I, I, Megan and I were like thinking about the Jalen Green video we did, and I was like, I haven't used this adjective in a while, and we were like, nobody will notice. Somebody noticed and messaged me about it. I was like, what do you care? Anyway, so you have a, a robust rant. vocabulary. <laughs> just so. a little, just a little <laughs> rant there. Sorry to that person. I mean, there are examples of guys who were good athletes that had the mind to, who already sort of had some of that. You know, we're just continuing to use the word software. Had some of that like those early advantageous ball skill, um, you know, development sort of tools at their disposal in their minds. Like LeBron, crazy athlete, kept building, kept building. Um, I think on some level, the American system is a good, um, is a good sort of uh, construct for, for, you know, pulling this apart. And I think that the, the Ignite experiment is interesting on this level too, because, you know, you're talking about guys not having self-awareness. What I think about a lot is like in the traditional American high school system, you know, you would have these players, not every single time, but you would have these players that would come up and just be so good, so much better than their peers, whether it be for like physical reasons. You think about like a Kendrick Perkins grew up in this crazy frame, didn't really develop a lot of ball skills down the, as he went along. He kind of was what he, he didn't really get dramatically better. Um, and I, th- I think that um, the Ignite experiment is going to be a really cool test for that because it's putting these players in a position to, if they're wired the right way, accelerate uh, some of their understanding um, but on all these different fronts. Yeah. Are you kind of getting at the difference, though, between guided learning and kind of autocratic, that self, self-learning, self-driven kind of stuff? Because the old days... It was like, oh, I want to go to a, I want to go to a college program. Kevin Garnett has talked about this, like, which, which blew my mind when he talked about this. I where, this. yeah, he he was deciding between North Carolina and Michigan, and they were asking him, and he's like, well, I wanted to go to North Carolina because they had the same defensive principles in my mind, head on a swivel, you know, front the post, like, and I'm like, what kind of seventeen year old is walking around looking for colleges to go, like, looking for college coaches and programs to play in for the defensive principles that they're attracted to? Um, anyway, that's a 
neither here nor there. But, you know, the question I think maybe you're getting at is what kind of players do we get at 25 when one set of players has a guided learning experience? And what kind of players do we get at 25 when those same sets of players all of a sudden are thrown into an environment where they maybe need to drive their own shit more when it comes to their development? Yes. And and I think that when you're comparing the the American and the international systems, this is a good way to kind of make that comparison because... You know, you'll you'll see some of these players like we always go back to Luca. I mean, Denny Avdija is another type of player like this. They'll get picked up by these clubs at a really young age. Sometimes it'll be, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. But we can't do that for – We were, I was talking earlier about like identifying players in like eighth grade and things like that. And we sort of just kind of herd them into groups and then we figure out who are the most special players and we pluck those guys and give them the most, you know, the most attention and things like that because you can't – you can't put every 16-year-old on the men's team and we can't run five 16-year-olds out there at the same time and let them run against, you know, uh, you know what what 25-year-old men ex yeah. euro league team whatever right, 25 right. 35 we can't yeah. you can't really do that. So I think that the G League is is an interesting thing uh on that front because um I don't the, the teammates are really funny too uh in that in that ex- um, in that experiment, um, you should go. You should check it out. Bobby Brown is still out there putting around, playing with uh, playing with Jalen Green, Jared Jack, who uh, seems to look more like Cuba Gooding Jr. by the day when I was watching the game. But um, I thought it was Cuba Gooding Jr. at first in just a jersey. But uh, sorry, that was a little digression. <laughs> Wait, can we grade an old draft? Can we do that? I was I was flipping through drafts as you were saying that two thousand. 2016 can we do it yeah let me go forward because for me i've said this before so we might as well like put our money where our mouth is i i feel like the next day the next day grading of the draft you know it might be fun for people so don't let me don't let me you know think that i'm saying it shouldn't be fun people can do that but from an accuracy standpoint from an information game standpoint we don't really get anything the next day. That kind of is part of your question earlier to me about what gets me interested. I'm not necessarily curious about uh, a guy at this stage being drafted, but as he starts to develop and as he's on a team, then we get a clearer picture of what's moving forward. And a lot of these draft grades are, hey, I'm doing my best as a as a scout, as, as a quote-unquote draft guy, and then I'm trying to map that up to what the team needs. But there's so many uncertainties there's uncertainties for years. So I was trying to go back and think like, what would be the first draft that would be fun and reasonable for us to do this with? The 2016 draft, of course, is the Ben Simmons draft. We just talked about Jalen Brown. Uh, you, you have it up. You want to do that one? You want to do another one? I, I have that pulled up. I'm seeing a lot of tough picks in this one. I think like 12 mm, or 13 yes. of the first round are like not currently productive NBA players. Uh, right. And then so you think about... Um, you think about sort of the grades that are given to them. We have a, like, I'm just going to pull up CBS sports grades. I'm also not going to say who did this because they're a friend of the show. Uh, so, but we could pick anyone. It doesn't matter. All these grades are usually going to be kind of similar. That's we, another. Can we clarify up front too? We know why we do it. I, I, you know, we know why we do the grades. I'm, I'm just going to say that up front. I for, just cl- think... for, for clicks. It's a business. We're running a business here. Um, <laughs> 
Did you want me to do, say my thing on this or what? I don't know. You can if you want. I know Are you, you walking a, me there you, and just seeing if I wanted to say it or not. Whatever you want to let the public know. I know you have possibly a rant on this that you may I'm or not going to rant. Get off. I'm not going to rant. Grades are just funny. I mean, it's just funny. I, 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 we we go by. It's just funny to grade a decision <laughs> before it has played out. Like it's just an odd thing. Like I don't I don't know. Like what other well, what where else in life would we do that in a in a credible way? It's we a lot of the time it just reflects our personal evals. Maybe maybe somebody reached up. I'm not going to say it's never smart to you know. There are some reaches that are like, what are they thinking? But a lot of the time we're just we're judging things that haven't played out yet and just kind of reflecting our big boards onto these teams that made decisions. Yeah. Time. And I, I think it's what's what's a little strange about it or or um difficult to do really is I've heard people say, Well, okay, Kyle, we don't know what's gonna happen in five years, but we can grade their decision making process now. And I'm like, I, I that's that breaks for me a little bit because A the decision-making process is based on their projection of the player. And it's also based on information that they have that you don't have. Mm-hmm. So that's where I have a hard time with the, with the next day um, grading of kind of drafts. So a- anyway, that's, I know you, I don't want to steal your thunder on your rant. No, uh, it, a lot of, a lot of like front office coaching. To, I feel that way about a lot of front office or coaching things. I just think whenever we, whenever we go into criticisms of this type, I think that we should hold people accountable to be really s- specific and and not just throw out random like this this coach, this GM, this person's an idiot. Well, you know, be be specific. That's really easy to do. I'm just saying the day after the day after a draft, you have no clue all the just kind of alchemy that goes into and information they have, good or bad. Um, you know, I just, that, that's kind of my, that's my feeling on that stuff. So let's look at this draft. The first pick in the draft, unless you don't want to, we don't have to. We can look. Okay. Ben Simmons was the first pick. L- looking back, do you think he should have, he should have been the first pick? Is that kind of where you want to do this? We don't have to go through the whole draft, but just okay. the, the big notes, I think, uh, is how I would th- think of doing it. Like I, I would, th- I mean, I don't know if I would take Simmons first in a redraft per se, but I think that's a perfectly reasonable first pick, even with the hindsight that we have, right? I think so. I think so. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's who is one of the most versatile defenders in the league. I think he's just he's horribly misoptimized. It's just such an odd situation that he's in. Um, I and it's it's been really funny to hear this back and forth between. I, I think NBA teams know that he has there is a there is a world out there where he could be more effective in a, in a, in a winning environment. Um, trying to like dial in the value and get like a, um, I was saying this last night, trying to dial in the value and try to get the the best return you could possibly get while having this conversation that's very ugly about his how he's performed in Philly's system. I don't admire Daryl Morey for <laughs> navigating that. That sounds like a nightmare because you know trading James Harden, you're just like you know what this is. We don't need to even have a conversation about it. But he's probably arguing a lot with people about what he, what Ben Simmons is. I would imagine. Wouldn't you think? You mean trying to convince them? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, but I think I think teams, these, there are teams the, out there that are probably sandbagging and they know deep down that he that he is something. I mean that 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 there are. It's just. He's such a condi- the the thing I've been saying a lot lately is he just has kind of conditional impact that people have a hard time getting past. Sure, sure, but the the market is also an issue because 
He's a he's a flawed player who has a handful of big strengths and a handful of big weaknesses. And so you have to take into account his price and then you have to take into account where you are as a team. And then if you are in a position as a team to kind of compete, how does he fit? Because his weaknesses can create big fit problems. So I think it's probably there's a lot probably going on in this situation um, that makes it more complex to get a good deal done than just like, uh, is Simmons really an all NBA player or is he kind of not that good? Something like that. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing when I'm looking at this particular draft is if you kind of scroll down through, I mean, there are players that projected to fit certain archetypes that just didn't. I mean, Dragon Bender, I think fit the archetype of, okay, here's a big – I think he was just misevaluated, honestly, at the end of the day because uh, the stuff, it just wasn't there. But um, and maybe I'm sort of like contradicting what I said before, but he – right there. I mean, the Chris Dunn, I always thought that Minnesota should have taken Jamal Murray there. I thought that that was a weird pick. Hold, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You're, going, you're, going, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. Okay. So Simmons uh, – I want to get some of the grades on these guys. I'm looking at CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, Forbes, and USA Today. They all give the Simmons pick an A. Yes. Then we have Brandon Ingram second, who we haven't talked about. Uh, and remind, refresh my memory. Were people saying Ingram could have been the first pick? At the time, did Simmons I mean, kind of run away with it? I think Simmons ran away with it. I, because okay. at the time, I think people were people were going wild with the, with the Simmons stuff. I mean, there were people saying stuff like, this guy's kind of LeBron-y, um, LeBron-esque, LeBron-ish. Um, I feel like... Ingram was pretty solidly behind him in that conversation, if I, if I remember correctly. Of course, that's been five years ago. Okay, so he gets an A, an A, an A, and an A-plus for the Lakers taking him second. And then Jalen Brown went third, who we alluded to earlier. And well, this is, I, this is a good example. Well, go, ahead, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Uh, uh, Jalen Brown, he gets a B-minus, a B-minus, a B-. B is all are these all B minuses? A B plus. There's a B plus in here and another B plus. So he's considered so you got those first two picks. Everyone seems to love them at the time. And then you get to Jalen, and some of what we were talking about earlier applies here. And people are like, oh, the Jalen Brown pick, maybe not really as good of a pick. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, I remember specifically I wasn't like covering the draft intently at the time. I was like working in, in another industry, but I thought it was a horrible pick at the time. I thought I thought that it was a weird pick. And I th- but I think that kind of ties back to taking in all the kind of the data surrounding development at that age range. Yes. If you feel like you can project um if you feel like you can project that this person could add these things in the time frame that you're going to have them are they a worthy investment based on what their ceiling is going to be at 25 26 27 um then then it makes more sense so but that that's kind of that's kind of where i'm going with that that uh, the next day you can't always see those things well it's hard to capture what it's like to work out with a guy and have a conversation with him and feel like he vibes with your coaching, with your philosophy, with you uh, as a as a general manager or owner or whatever it is, who's, who, whoever is the stakeholder making that decision. And thinking, I mean, we, we now get this um, 2020 hindsight with Jalen Brown because he's become a star and he's been in the spotlight more. But you might sit down with someone like that and go, 
oh, huh, not only does he fit the culture, but I see a development path because he seems like he's wiser beyond his years, he's mature, something like that. And so maybe those things I'm seeing on film where he doesn't have a handle or his feel on the weak side, now he still doesn't have great vision or, or feel on defense, but the, the to your point, you start as a minus six and you get up to a plus two, that's a hell of a lot of miles to cover on something that's a weakness. And then meanwhile, all those physical tools and the quote unquote measurables and all that, he's an incredible athlete, um, obviously in high school and at Cal, um, that allows you to become a player that, hey, when I get my two dribble pull up going left, now that's a weapon that's really hard. Hey, when I get my three point shooting up to 38%, uh, you add some athleticism and finishing and my physical tools and desire to defend and learn, hey, now I'm an all-star. And that's a huge difference from all the guys we've seen at that age who kind of look the same-ish on the court, but you have no data off the court, and they just essentially end up fizzling out. Yeah, and it's there, there are a few players that kind of fit this archetype, and I thought about this a lot with Jalen Green specifically, at that, like a similar thing. Like a guy, well, he's more of an electric sort of downhill, slippery athlete than, than Brown, who is explosive, um, power, um, just really overwhelming people with his frame, you know, much bigger shoulders. Um, I got, I've been really curious to sort of, and this is something that I did with Green. I don't know how familiar you are with him. Um, are you familiar with Jalen Green? I'll just ask you point, point blank. I saw one clip of Jalen Green this week, and my first thought was, I wonder if J. Kyle Mann thinks this guy's going to be amazing. <laughs> He's <laughs> One clip. Was it a 13-minute clip that I made for the Ringer YouTube? Because I haven't seen not, your video yet. No, I haven't seen your video yet. effing dare you. Um, um, he projects in this mold that I think is interesting that kind of fits what we we're talking about. And I went back. So he's he's about a 6'6". Six, six. His frame is more like a Malik Monk frame, like very slight. Um, but he, oh, uh, he... Can I pause you there? Yeah. Because I think we have a hard time historically. There are so few people on earth that become transcendent great basketball players that we insist that you have to fit a prior mold. And so sometimes you see a guy and you go like, huh, who does he remind me of? He looks like, and you think of the best player he looks like, and the best player he looks like is Malik Monk. And then it becomes very difficult to imagine that player being an MVP. I think the salient guy that this happened for with most people is Harden. Like even people who are high on Harden it just there was no archetype of a six four a six four dude that played like that with that rhythm and that pace that size didn't have crazy elevation at the rim et cetera et cetera becoming that good so I just want to throw that out there because um, it's like maybe he plays exactly like maybe he's physically and moves exactly like Malik Monk but all the other stuff that you can throw on top that's the same kind of stuff that takes Draymond from a second round pick to the best defensive player of his generation. Two thoughts. First one on that. There are also kind of forces at work in the way that the game is played that can kind of warp those archetypes, like that that can allow different body types to. And I think I think the advent of like volume three point shooting has affected the game as we know. Uh, but I think <laughs> in has, terms yes. in terms of like in the in the like eighties, in the nineties, in the two thousands, you saw a lot more of these like top end speed athletes getting taken in the first round, the Tyrus Thomases, the Stromile Swifts, as much as I love those guys. Ooh, whisper sweet somethings to me. Keep going. <laughs> Let me tell you about Chris Dar- Dar- Wilcox. Darius Miles. <laughs> Darius Miles, yeah, that's another one. No, I, I think that three point shooting has 
Are you really going to fucking eat a banana? <laughs> what? <laughs> I think that, and we've seen this with Steph. It's uh, Three-point shooting has been an important sort of piece of the equation of like dictating pace, I think. Since you can pull players uphill, we've seen guys like Harden, we've seen guys like Luka. Um, I think that that, sh- that allowed a player like Harden to, the threat of his uphill gravity allowed a player who wasn't as physically explosive as him to play in a different way, you know what I mean? It almost, in a way, makes him faster because, like, hundred percent, yeah. Like in 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 the open space against one matchup, is he going to just like cook people and go by them the way the the way like young Kobe or Iverson or these like nuclear Grant athletes? Would Grant have? Hill, Grant Hill, that's another good one. A comparison that people were pulling for Cade Cunningham. We, we could talk about that in a little bit, but um, I think that um, what's wrong with I, I had a bite of banana. And I got a big reaction from you. Folks, we're, we're doing a podcast and he just out of nowhere pulls this just like banana, like the biggest, <laughs> it, was, it was a banana. It was a, it was a full jumbo sized banana and he just starts eating it. Like, I'm not going to say, it was just like a co- comedic, what was I supposed to do with that? I don't know. You're, you're laughing. Anyway, I've never, I'm ever, laughing at your reaction. literally never yeah. had someone do that on a podcast. What's he, I'm laughing so hard, A, because you had a reaction and B, I realized you as derailed was, me as I was no, saying. Uh, no, as I was upping my potassium intake and trying to be a responsible oh, okay. podcaster, I, I realized what if J. Kyle Mann gets into, like, what if he interrupts himself because I'm eating a banana? Your potassium. That's what you were working on there. Did you get Ooh, see, what did there? see that you're an artist. That's why um, you are what you are. You did. You upended me there, but I do remember what I was saying. I just think that there are factors like that that can enable archetypes for us to bust archetypes. I think Jokic right, well, is an example of this, of playing with crazy pace in the past. It would have been a little bit yep. harder for him to do that. Steph, another example. You know, Smaller player, there, skinny. What we're really talking about here is black swan fallacy. That's what we're really talking about. Just this persistent belief that if I haven't seen it, it doesn't exist. And I think that's a... Tr- this goes back to the next day draft grades. Like... In five years, it's a little clearer to understand the rules, the shape, the differences in the game that could allow a new archetype to evolve and emerge versus today, how can we how can we understand what the 2028 NBA league is going to look like, especially in the middle of such rapid change? Yes, and those things are difficult to pro- project. I mean, I think that we're, we're in a decent spot right now in terms of like projecting archetypes. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is you were talking about Jalen Green in the terms of the comps. I want to I want to be clear. He does. He's not. I don't. His ceiling is not the same as Malik Monk. He's a little bigger than Monk. He just physically is like Monk. Uh, and and a lot of the things that I was doing as I was doing research with him was laying out pick and roll production, laying out passes out of pick and roll production up against up against players who were similar scoring guards who are in that like six four to six six range. Your Beals, your Bookers, Zach Levine, uh, Victor Oladipo was another one that I put against him. And I just was sort of charting what kind of growth do those – where do those players typically start and where can they go? Like what what have we seen in terms of like the highest level of a player of that size that probably needs to play with another, you know, strong playmaker? Um do you follow like that archetype that I'm talking about or like and, and the playmaking sort of evolution of those guys? I think that, you know, Beal and Booker started, I think, from like jump shooting points that were higher than these guys. Yeah. Um, even though the three point 
percentages don't always reflect it with Bo- Bo- Booker. I almost said Booker. Uh, Booker. Um, and uh, but Levine, Levine is a good comp. I've heard it a lot for people. But the frame thing, just talking about Jalen Green now, the frame thing for him is going to be really big because, um, pardon the pun, but because Levine, as skinny as he was at UCLA, he still managed to bulk up pretty considerably. I mean, he's he's still a slinky, skinny you know, athlete who can fly and glide and things, but he has some power to him. And I'm just not totally sure that Jalen Green's going to do that. I'm not sure about that. That's another tricky one is how important moving into your frame, especially with guys being younger coming into this to the limelight is versus scouting 20 or 30 years ago, where by the time you're 21 years old and you're a junior in college, we don't have to use this way down the road imagination to be like, oh, is this going to be a guy who fills it like Giannis maybe is the ultimate example of this right where you can look at his size and the way he moves and you can look at his shoulders and say okay he's probably going to fill into his frame but a you don't know that he is and b you don't know how he's going to move once he does you don't know how that's going to affect his play or his style whether it changes his style whether just and I'm speaking totally hypothetically here as he develops that, his shot gets wonkier and wonkier and wonkier over the years. And now he's a 57% free throw shooter all of a sudden, even though when he was younger, he was a 75% free throw shooter. Just making this up, stop me at any point. <laughs> Is that your theory? I mean, do you really think that the... Well, I mean, I, there were like oh, no. documented no. stories about people changing his mechanics when he was younger, right? I'm pretty positive about that. No, I don't think it's just because of added weight. But I do think that when you do that stuff... And you and you're in a transitional period where you're changing your shot. Um, it adds more variability to the to the picture, Definitely. right? You're, so it's it's all part of the story. But anyway, you were saying wonderful things about Jalen Green. Um, he's speaking of like strength and like how, how that could impact your shot fluidity. I mean, I I've been of the mind that. He's he's one of the you see this with skinnier players. We saw it with like Halliburton. Some of these guys will have to dig a little deeper down to their waistline to sort of get the ball to the basket. You just don't have as much easy power coming up from your from your calves all the way up through your hips to you know to your arms. Um, so you have to kind of generate that power in other ways. Now I'm not like a biomechanic expert or anything like that, but I mean watching him, um, it does seem like he's somebody that strength is going to have an impact on his ability to fluidly shoot. So, I mean, you kind of read between the lines and look at his touch. He's a player. I could see him becoming a good dribble pull-up, just sort of an improvisational mid-range shooter score type. Um, But I think that he's a lot like Levine, Beal, Booker, and that he could have some years where he's a little inefficient uh, and and people could – Early on, depending on what what Houston does, I think in the short term they've done a lot of really good stuff to like put. They had a really great draft night last night um, to put talent around him to sort of ease the pain of that because we've seen that with like score first guys that come in that are these wings that get dependent on too much. Uh, it can be ugly, so I'm just kind of hoping that's not the case for him because it was for Booker for a while. People were, as we know, good stats, bad team. The empty calories. You did a whole video about the empty calorie offense thing. Um, I did, yes. Are you still there? I knew I could get it. I knew I could get you to ask. That me. what you were fishing for? That's one of our, sta- our hallmarks here. of uh, our conversation. We haven't done a podcast if you're not worried about me still being here. So are you giving the Rockets an A last night? I only ask because you know who got a lot of A's on draft night back in 2016? Dragon Bender. He, I think- get, he got A's in his reviews? 
CBS Sports has an A. We've got a B plus from Bleacher Report, uh, a C plus from Forbes, and another B plus. I guess that's only one A, but two B pluses. And I I'll think s- it comes comes back to that archetype, right? Where at that point in time, you see Kristaps Porzingis. His name is mentioned a bunch next to Bender. I think you're. This gets back to what I was saying about the Black Swan. At that point in time, it's the inverse. We had already seen Dirk Nowitzki, and Dirk was coming to the end of his career. I see so what it's you're like, saying. right? It's like you see these guys, and your brain tries to fit them in this spot. And of course, what we know about Bender now today, I don't think anybody would be giving out this grade. But on the night of the draft, you go, "Oh, this looks like the third or fourth best prospect, or whatever it is." Are we? Yeah, that's. It is sort of the inverted black swan. I was calling it, the, I've been calling it the comp tractor beam, which is a much more dumbed down version of this. <laughs> but it's, it's so it's the, the opposite, it's the opposite phenomenon. You haven't seen it, so you don't think it could happen. And then you see it once with a, with a special player and you assume that it could happen again, which is with the Dirk thing. You know, we really didn't see. I'm doing a whole video about Kevin Durant that I'll have where I discuss a lot of this about uh, shooting archetypes and big guys and things like that. Um, and, it, but but I th- it makes you wonder if there are players in this draft that just happened um, that we're doing that with. I mean, I don't. I, I would assume that Toronto's being careful with their evaluation of Scotty Barnes on that front um, because with the Draymond comparisons that I've heard, um, I'm trying to think down just through here of other comps that that I've heard that were uh, pulling. Ah, there aren't any jump, that jumped. Well, uh, Shingun is another one. Uh, the guy that uh, the, the Rockets actually picked up Alperin Shingun, the Turkish big guy. He's 18 years old. Um, I think you'd like him. Um, my thing was I kind of tried to pump the brakes on people like using the flashes um, that Jokic showed as a way of sort of justifying it. I don't think I don't think you have to do that to to, to justify him being a good player. I think that's pretty dangerous because um, Jokic at 18 was already showing on ball creation. He was showing shooting touch. Yes. Yes, I'm I'm nodding and pointing vociferously here in silence because it's more of that inverted black swan idea. It's the it's the trying to mold back into um, the unicorn, right? Like Jokic, in a way, is probably a unicorn, and whether he whether he is or he isn't isn't even necessarily the point here. Because I think the bigger point is what we've alluded to multiple times in this conversation that. Early on, he was showing these things that already made him effective, and then those were the things that grew and developed and carried through and translated to make him great by the time he was 24 years old. Or hey, How old is Jokic now? 25, 26? Can't even keep track. Uh, pretty young. I'll look that up here in a minute. Yeah, but, so uh, around that age, right? Yeah. Like You're going to be really good around that age, and when you're 18 or 19 you are already showing these things but if you if we haven't seen them before and they don't fit in an archetype we just don't recognize them it's only when you go back i f- i feel this way about nash when i do historical work on steve nash i'm higher on nash than most people um, that you can find and i i'm open to lowering the evaluation but that's that's not the point the point is the thing i really notice when i go back and watch nash is all the things that made nash nash they're almost present back to like his young days at Santa Clara. And it's just, you're thinking about a little white Canadian dude and you're just never thinking he's ever going to be at that level. And even living through it in real time, when he got to that level, there were people who were like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You can't be better than John Stockton. Like it doesn't like, that's the ceiling. You can't, it doesn't make sense, but that's because they were attached to this 
archetype idea. Kyle, you've done it. You've got me really waxing philosophical and existential in this pod. So this is a success. I I think that like the CP3 Stockton Nash connection really got me thinking. He keeps eating this. <laughs> he's just eating all kinds of feast. Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven now. Every scene that Ben is in, he's got to eat. Um, no, I, I think that we're having a collision course of like really special hand-eye coordination, and then. But I, I think that those players, for whatever reason, when they were young, they didn't have physical tools. Paul Paul specifically is interesting because he was very quick and he could leap. I think he's one of the more interesting NBA players ever, to be honest, because the long. Yes, you think about yeah. you think about the number one. He's his ability to create his own shot at that size in the in the speed of today's game. Um, Amazing the lateral hops. I spent so much time just watching his lateral space separation. Like he he really subtly will try to get big guys trying to block shots with their weaker hand, which is something that not every big guy can do well. Uh, that's a big reason why I love Isaiah Jackson, but um, who was in this draft, but. I think those guys, Kentucky just, guy, right? It, yeah, if you're looking back, that's not why I loved him. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I loved I loved him before he picked UK. I swear to God. Um, so is this is this Paul? T- you're talking about Paul today? I'm talking. Well, Paul wasn't my point, but I guess my thing that I was getting at was I think those guys got in a rhythm of skill. You were talking about who was fasting that Nash had that sort of map in his mind. I think map is a good way to put it because those players are forced to be that way because they from an early age are in an environment that is forcing them to have adaptability as they go. So it's like, it's just constant, constant adaptability. And it's such a cut. There's literally at no point in their basketball lives, a moment where they can take a breath and say, I'm going to lean on, you know, like John wall, I'm just going to lean on my speed here. Like they, those are, those guys aren't slow, but, I think that that's probably why that happened. You have all those forces colliding. I said it's funny how those types of players in basketball have almost been like comets. Like they've literally come around like once every 10 years. Like I was laying out the stats of Chris Paul against 09-10 Nash and then 98-99 Stockton. It's like it's interesting that it's come along in intervals like that. It's a total coincidental thing. but Yeah, no, those, those players are rare. Uh, and and even if you think about sort of the unicorns and new archetypes, and I, I landed on this in the Greatest Peak series with Larry Bird, no one really played like Larry Bird before Larry Bird. Um, he had some comps and similarity with Rick Barry because he was a big, big forward who could pass and shoot. Uh, and Barry as well, really good hand-eye coordination so he could get his hands on a lot of balls on defense. But then after, you know, it's been, what, 30 years since Larry Bird retired? And... There's really no one who's played like Bird since. I actually think Jokic, to some degree, I've called um, Luka having some of those similarities. And for me, it was passing vision and the high point of release on the shot and the way he used his body really, you know, his physical with his body and willing to post up and get in the paint um, and use tricks and up fakes. There's some similarities there. But of course, the other side I always compare Luka to is Harden. I think there's probably more similarities with that Harden style, whereas I mean, who's the who's the closest guy to Bird? Is it another unicorn in Yuka in in a a Yuka a Yukichicorn, um, in Jokic? Like, I I don't know. I think that those guys have similar kind of developmental paths. In that, you know, there are players that that have tools and they're aware enough to develop and build. But then there are players that I think have inherent challenges, like Bird, not a crazy athlete. Um, but I think that his challenges sort of like. 
um, fertilized some of those areas that would go on that that enabled his areas of brilliance. I think in a, in a weird way, there was a sort of a a cyclical thing going on. I think Jokic, same thing. I mean, great hand eye coordination, great touch, uh, spatial awareness, but then not a crazy athlete. So he was just forced to lean on those things, and I think you just get almost like this nuclear reaction that just keeps building and building and building between like adverse circumstances and your and your gifts and you just sharpen them you sharpen them you sharpen them and to the point that they become elite and special in the way that luca in the way that and it's not to act like these guys are just bums that are like you know six one 200 pounds with no vertical or anything like that but like uh someone on this podcast me um go i want to go back we we always end up talking about bird and luca and stuff like that i wanted to talk really quick about houston you asked me circling way back if they had a good draft they had a very good draft they got jalen green they picked up Uzma Garuba, who is like a, a probably going to be like he could end up being one of the better, better defenders in this draft. I mean, it'll be hard to get past Evan Mobley on that front, but he's going to be a quality small ball five, in my opinion, long wingspan. Um, Josh Christopher is another guy who is basically a flamethrower, ultra confident type of player. I don't know that he's going to be your cup of tea, uh, but Shingun is another guy, Al- Alperin Shingun. Um, Crazy good hands, really clever around the basket, up fakes galore. I think that he'll be a pretty good elbow creator in terms of like physically. This is me just giving you a scouting report now. Physically, I think that his body could go a number of directions. He's pretty, we just don't know what he is yet physically. Um, but Houston did a great job, I thought, last night. Had a good draft. You're giving them an A. We, we established it. <laughs> if right, you're trying to trick me into giving draft grades, I'm saying I like what I've they did. It. We'll see what <laughs> you did trick me. Okay, okay. I, Let, let's. Let, I want to come back to um, Evan Mobley. I, I do want to discuss him. I think he's worth discussing, and Jaron Jackson Jr. and guys like that. But let's let's segue back into the 2016 draft because the next group of players might plug into a little of what we're talking about or trigger similar thoughts where. Uh, Buddy Heald, Jamal Murray, Marcus Chris, um, they came off the board next, six, seven, eight. And you start to get mixed opinions with like the next day drafts or maybe where people have them on their boards or things like that. Um, Heald has, you know, he's got some A minuses, a couple A minuses, my goodness. Um, You know, B pluses. I guess a lot of people liked Heald. He gets A minuses on all these next day grades. Chris is a little more... Um, variable. Some people have him as a B, B minus, uh, sorry, B plus or B minus. And then there's an A or an A. Pl- I think someone gave him like an A plus. So you start to get um, some, let's see, Murray. I didn't do Murray either. Murray has an A minus. He has a B. Um, you know, maybe his size is the question. Is he, they already have Gary With Harris. Murray? Yeah, this is Murray. I know what happened. Yeah. OG on Ananobi blocked a shot a few times at the three-point line in, in this tournament game, and I think that it scared some people. I think that's what happened. I think people thought that he was small, and they thought he wasn't going to be able to get his shot off. And I think one yep. game, that was a bias. That was just from conversations I was having with people. Having watched him a lot at around that time, I thought that it was nuts, especially the way the league was going, and we've seen that. So I guess there that does speak to sort of some of the predictive stuff that you have to kind of take into account and project on where we're going. Um, I, I'm curious, you sent me, I want to talk about this before we, before we do anything else, before we go, whatever the article that you sent me, I think yep. we should, I think we should talk about that in terms of like art. Cause what we, what a lot of this does is 
we're talking about we haven't seen it that's all based on like archetypes in the past we're running thing things through the filter of what we've seen and not believing the things that we haven't seen um we saw a lot of different you know in these in these playoffs in these past playoffs i think that informed a lot of our thinking i've heard a lot of people talk about can you imagine this player in this scenario things like that and and using that as a way of justifying whether or not they should be picked um I'm trying to throw to you this article that you sent me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it's a ton of research on playoff impact for uh, Patreon subscribers on patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball, five-part series, heavily built around playoff plus minus, and just trying to just trying to understand value in the playoffs. And one of the big takeaways from it was looking at different archetypes, looking at the changes over time, and uh, kind of... Uh, I think I tweeted out this particular graph or result at some point when I was running the series. Basically, big men in the postseason used to be more valuable. And I think the inference is defense, you know, one paint protector can't have the same impact that he could have had 20 or 30 years ago. We have data back on in the playoffs to 1997 for this series. And maybe even on offense as well. Meanwhile... Wings, kind of like those diverse LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, all this this like big two-way wing archetype uh, has a lot, had a lot of success. And smalls and bigs have kind of flipped. The game has become um, more of a small man's game. The use of the three-point shot, the rules, some of the rule changes. We talked about projecting five years out. Like, who knows what's going to happen with these rule changes even just next year, mm-hmm. how that's going to impact the game for different archetypes or smaller players. So, do you have any? I mean, I, w- I would be curious to ask you since you're sort of the expert on this stuff. Do you do you have any inkling or any kind of idea or expectation? Get get wild with it. Give me a prediction on wh- who do you think that this is going to impact these rule changes? A specific player or, or a type of. If you want to be specific, I, I'm I'm willing to go as macro or micro as you want to go on that. What do you What do you think? Well, I think if they implement the rules the way they're talking about implementing the rules and you get back to this idea that if you are initiating contact to gain a competitive advantage um, that's outside the the rule book and they, what's so weird about this stuff Kyle that most people don't understand is these things were unwritten rules or they were in the rule book and they had to be like updated to make it amenable for the modern style so like the gather step for instance that was never actually written in the travel rule book. It was just sort of assumed to be part of a step that was illegal. And as I've talked about, the first guy who I really prominently saw do that by holding the ball with an elongated stride before he put his second hand on it to start, quote unquote, start your first step was Scottie Pippen. And I have a clip of some video of him doing it on a fast break. And you hear the crowd oh, like that's a tra-. it's in MSG, I think. And the Knicks fans are like, that's a travel. And the broadcasters are like, I guess it's. I guess it's not a travel, even though it looks like it took four steps. And when you fast forward 25 years, these guys that drive to the basket by taking a lot of steps with their feet, but technically still only two after picking up the dribble, mm-hmm. I think if we ever clean that up, it would hurt a lot of those slashers who can't slash like you could in the old days. Like um, 
even even Kobe era and the way he got to the basket. But think about the guy like Clyde Drexler, Dominique Wilkins, Jerome Kersey. It's almost more like a running back. Like you got to get your shoulder around the guy. You got to turn your corner and then you got to elevate and go. Mm-hmm. And that's how you finished at the rim. And the whole thing's changed now. Uh, and I don't think they're going to do anything with that. But cleaning up the leaning into the guy with the shoulder or jumping into players or things like that, I think that's obviously going to have a micro effect on Harden and Trey Young and the, the, the master tricksmen, right? Um, I think it might have a more macro effect on players who are less athletic uh, maybe. I mean, there's so much spacing in the game now that if you can turn the corner, you're okay. But I, I honestly, I don't have a super great feel because it's different than looking back 10 or 20 years and saying like, ah, how would these guys do with these rule changes? Because 10 or 20 years ago, you didn't have four or five guys on the court that could shoot threes and had a dialed in pick and roll trap, drop coverage, low man rotate. It just wasn't the same game. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's going to have an impact. I do think offensive rating is going to come back down a little bit, but I just don't have a great feel for it. Um, I want to comment on, you talked about how like values flipped in, in that time frame from with the, from, with the bigs and the smalls. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, it, some of this is obvious, but I think that the, when we talk about three and D wings and things like that, I, I think the big thing that I've tried to look for, is we're looking we're looking to bring some of the traits of bigs onto the floor while maintaining some of the traits. We're just trying to cross those traits as much as we can. Like we're trying to find players who still give us the impact of length while give, keep it, while maintaining skill while while maintaining speed things like that. Um, and for me, whenever I'm watching players, there's a sort of an archetype of defender that I feel like we're going to keep seeing more and more of. Um, it just my kind of prediction here. You wanted to, were you going to interject there? I was going to say maybe this is exactly the the thing that brings us back to Mobley, Evan, Evan Mobley, right? Did you, you wanted to talk about Mobley? I do, but for this very reason, I, I think that when I see him, and I have the same thing with Jaron Jackson, uh, we are looking for a type of athlete and player and sort of awareness guy on defense that can provide the paint protection we need. It's never going to be the same as there are 11 dudes in the paint and you're standing under the rim and you're Mark Eaton and swatting shots. It's never going to be like that, right? Just but, turning around in a very tight circle. Just yes, literally yes. just turn around and block you're another a shot. Yes. Yeah. But, but we are still looking for players. Basketball is a vertical game. And we're still looking for players who are big and long and tall and could impact that really, really high real estate area on the court. And so that to me looks like Mobley right now. It looks like Jaron Jackson a few years ago to a degree, although a slightly different type of player. It's Jonathan Isaac, right? It's like the thing that gets you excited. But then to your point, you also need something on offense that's not Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Hakeem Olajuwon. It's a totally different thing where we want shooting, ball skills, all this. And what I'm struggling with, I think normally my instinct would be, oh my God, I love Evan Mobley. And I do, I do. But I'm more concerned about how easy it is for players like that to actualize in this environment versus 10 or 20 years ago. And I and I think Jaron to me is a lesson where his his potential on offense is heading in the direction that I thought it could go in. But 
it's it's like whoa it's actually really hard to do all those things on offense and grow on offense and grow on defense into the all of the stuff required to be a great defender even though you've got the tools you've got the seven five wingspan what what did mobley measure seven foot barefoot i don't know exactly what his if he measured today is the first day in like months that i've closed the nba combine website like i wasn't looking at it like just religiously going back and like a like a biblical scribe like just being like oh let me check the history of the date on that uh i let me see mobley the biblical scribes were also from kentucky i just exactly let me check that double check it looks good no i think i don't know about barefooted i know that he's seven big though with a a seven four i was gonna ask you do you think that um jaron jackson is a, a little bulkier then, like he he seems like he's just a little bulkier than than the ads, the Giannis's, um, even the Mobleys. Like, I think what well, I feel like what we're talking about is we need a big who can give us offense, but can play drop just as well as they can switch. Basically, is that is that kind of the mold that we're because in the last two NBA Finals, that has been Anthony, the, the finish. Davis, yeah. That has been the finish. Him move has been you know Giannis to the five, AD to the five. Is that the archetype that we're looking for and is that stupid? Should we do it like if if Aiton if Aiton had had more of an offensive game, if he had more creation, I mean, could that have tilted? I don't I don't know. It, or are we just in a in a period here where we're going to chase those types of players? I think what you were trying to say, what you were alluding to, is just how difficult that is. Like it's exactly, and, and it circles exactly. back to to us taking for granted how special a player is. Um, right. It all, it's I think all that, cyclical. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. It's it's. That that archetype is still a great archetype. They're, these players are still valuable. Um, they're still very valuable, I should say. They may not, you know, if they're competing with the very best, is it easier to be the very best if you're LeBron James or if you're a six four guard? Maybe now than twenty years ago, sure. But it's not just that the the ceiling may have dropped a touch. It's that getting these guys to this ceiling is extremely difficult. Maybe more difficult with the rules the way they are than if you're a wing. And so that's kind of the learning that I'm baking in now where I look at Mobley, I see the same things that, you know, oh, boom, that pops. His, oh, he can pass. Oh, his, his jumper looks nice. Oh, his feels pretty good. Oh, my. Like, but you got to remember in this league to get to Anthony Davis or better, um, that's a long, long, long journey from where you are now to being that good at 24 years old. It goes back to that 24-year-old thing, right? Like you want to be good when you're 24. Some of this circles back to development, though. It's like how do you get there? What are the reps that are necessary? Because we can't simulate the type of high-level reps that you would need necessarily to get there. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, you're playing against good players. But like actual game reps that are schemed, things like that, those are different than just – you know simulating something like that so i'm i guess what i'm wondering if you're asking is is it like is that is that what you're getting at that it's like if do you have to have like a certain level of offense to stay on the floor to justify you getting those reps that could help you get to that ceiling does that make sense what i just said i i I think so in but also in the sense that you it's very unlikely for anyone to have insane kind of defensive impact anymore even the bigs and the very best bigs in the game, I kind of view it like like offense, right? Like there's a handful of guys on offense that are kind of going off the charts relative to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just make up a gatekeeper. Let's call Damian Lillard a gatekeeper. Great offensive player. It makes him an all-NBA level player. He's really good. But 
Damian Lillard offense versus LeBron James offense, right? Like Damian Lillard offense versus two or three other guys. Those guys are able to add another dimension, another point or two per game everywhere they go on their team's net of five extra wins, whatever it is. And I feel like on defense, you want to be an all NBA level defender, an all defensive team defender, I should say. Like, that's cool. But the difference between second team all defensive defender and your Draymond's, your Rudy Gobert's, maybe at his best, Anthony Davis, Giannis is probably the fourth guy who's in that group potentially for me. Those guys are just kind of potentially out in their own island. Um, and it's the same thing. Like, okay, can Evan Mobley be a really good, can he be Miles Turner? Who's, who's I think at his best, a really good defender, or are we talking about a generational defender? That's a, that's a big ask. And I know there's a, a corollary on offense, but it seems like it's a little easier for these guys on offense to at least get to Damian Lillard, if you will. I think to speak to, I know you were just saying hypotheticals, just pulling random. I think, I think that his ceiling is higher than miles. I mean, I, I think that he could be a better defensively. Player. Yes. I yeah. I, so. I, I agree. I think he has the tools. Um, and I think he has the look and that's, what's so enticing, but I'm trying to temper that with the reality that in this league, it's like, maybe that's just harder to get to. And maybe, you know, maybe we are, um, not viewing the guys of the prior generation as unicorny enough like <laughs> right like maybe maybe dunk maybe duncan and garnett and Nowitzki are just unicorns period by the way as as we we're having this conversation a couple seconds ago someone just texted me uh hold on went off my screen uh is <laughs> this is too funny i have a dirk theory is dirk just hyper actualized carmelo anthony oh Man, I mean, do you want to take that? <laughs> no, I'm, it's not, oh man, it's just, it lines up perfectly with this, what we're talking about, right? Because if you never have Dirk, and that's your arc, let's say Carmelo came before Dirk, and you see Carmelo, and you're like, Dirk plays like Carmelo, so you you anchor yourself to that player, and you say, oh, oh so I see, can he, I see can he, right? okay, can he be as good as Carmelo? Yeah. No, but it's interesting because if the style is the same and you're thinking, oh, he's going to play like this, you might ask yourself, one, can he be as good? So I did that with Chris Paul and Isaiah Thomas. I, I remember that. I don't think I'll ever forget that. Um, I was it's, like, boy, Chris, Chris Paul reminds me of Isaiah Thomas. I think he's going to be the next Isaiah Thomas. And frankly, I think that was wrong because I think he's, he's better than Isaiah Thomas. And there are things that make him better than Isaiah Thomas. That's a headline uh, from this pod. I mean, I think... Um, that's yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that's one of the dangerous. That is just one of the dangerous pitfalls of comps. Um, and then you you launch into the other side of this that like the players themselves can become aware of these things, which is kind of an undue burden. Um, I mean, I was going to say, is Carmelo just a hyper actualized version of Bernard King? What do you think about that? I I probably like Bernard King's peak better than Carmelo you're the only person on earth that would care to answer that question (laughs) well it's very important 19 1984 Bernard King is very important to me it's very important that makes you special no I think eating the banana during the podcast is what makes me special Kyle have we been talking for like is this right have we been talking for well over an hour uh it seems like it we are apt to do this um (laughs) to just ramble and ramble and ramble um I think we've made all the points we need to make here today, right? Can I throw just a, a few archetypes of the guys that we were talking about? Big, I think one of the big, I just want to throw these guys out there. I think one of the big thing, one of the big evolutions is I think we're going to see 
these lanky sort of um, because we've seen ball skills kind of go up the chain into like longer, bigger playmakers. We're going to start to see some of these sort of antidote, defensive, switchable kind of pieces. I think. I, I think Jaden McDaniel showed us some flashes of that last year. Um, I think in this draft, um, there are a few. I mean, there there's some like more raw guys that I think could get there. There's a guy named JT Thor that I think you would find pretty interesting, who played for uh, Auburn this past year. Um, I also really like um, Zaire Williams. Has been a guy that I've been big on. I mean, that's a, that's another player type that I, I feel like. Uh, we're going to just see more and more of those of those guys. How do you feel about PJ Washington? Is this a, is this bait? Is this a trick? Is this <laughs> All right, I'll let you off the hook. What about cheese? You're a big fan of cheese, right? Yeah, we had a conversation, I don't know if we recorded it about cheese. Um huge fan of cheese. Are you sponsored by cheese? Is that why you asking? Are you is, <laughs> Are you just sponsored by the cheese lobby? Behold the power of cheese. Is that your? Is that going to run at the end of your thinking? Bad. I'm thinking cheese. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if I could get a sponsor like that just for a just for like a topic? Landed a huge sponsor, <laughs> cheese. Um, yes, uh, I love this, cheese. This this episode of the show is brought to you by science fiction movies. Get your <laughs> just get your a, science fiction movies. Broadcast, not even a brand, just a just a noun. This is brought uh, me, to you by buildings. Uh, uh, I no. watched the thing this week for you. What is it? The thing. I watched the thing oh, this week. The thing. Yes. You yeah. didn't even respond. I asked you. I was like, "You have you seen it?" And you. It was I just literally silence. went. And wa- I just went and watched it. It does take that's, one hour and forty five minutes. That's why you didn't respond. So yeah. yeah, classic. The 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 John Carpenter one, right? You watched the, the John Carpenter one from nineteen eighty two, and um, I only realized near the end during that really famous scene that I had seen that really famous scene, but only after the important things in the really famous scene happen. Well, that's good. I'm glad you liked it. Yes, that that is a classic, gory, grossy, scary film. I appreciate it. But yes, I yeah. do like cheese. I was telling you, drunken goat cheese, probably my favorite right now. Put in some eggs, put in some veggies. Versatile. Or just pop pop a piece in your mouth. You know, that's another way. That's one of my moves when I'm hungry. Just, you know, make a lap through so, the kitchen. Pow. You know. So I'm curious, if you're still listening after all this time, <laughs> I want to know, when, when I get drunk at the end of podcasts like this and we start talking about goodness knows what, do you, do you like that when you're listening and you get to the end? Is that rewarding? Or is this the time when you know to switch to another basketball podcast? At LG35 on Twitter, let me know. Also, uh, tag Kyle, too. He's, he's more responsive. He's on Twitter. We already go on Twitter like 11 hours a day. I'm going to be quitting here soon, I think. Um, <laughs> no, if it's, if it's negative, just tag Ben. He'll tell me about it. Just leave me out of it. Um, uh this this as always. What a, what a year, a man! Great it really pleasure. has been. Uh, it's been quite a journey. Like I said, yeah. I feel like we're just different people than when we left. Than when we left our our home back then. I just, I think I'm just gonna go sit in a hyper. I don't have a hyperbaric chamber, but I'm just gonna go lay in one for like a month and uh, recharge and and get going again. Well, you asked you asked at the beginning about the season ending and realizing it, and for me, it's only this moment right here because. I think like two months ago during the playoffs, I was like, we should do a podcast soon and we should do it to commemorate the end of the season. Like that's, that's our next talk. Our next chat is when this, this crazy two year run ends and here after, you know, one hour and 30 minutes or whatever it's been of, uh, navigating the historical and developmental landscape at the same time, the old and the new, the, the, the established, and the and the future, what's coming? Now we've landed 
it feels like I'm home. It does. And that's one of the reasons, um, other than just you just being a swell guy, one of the big reasons I enjoyed talking with, with Benjamin Taylor uh, is for that reason. I, th- I feel like the things that I like kind of link <laughs> to the things that you are an expert in. So when we have these conversations, I could be like comparing all these developmental paths and history and archetypes and things like that. I enjoy it. I always love coming on this podcast. I love when people uh, en- encourage us to do it. It's always fun. It's nice to it's hear great. people want it. So I, keep I Keep tagging it. us. Keep letting us know. Tag the ringer. Tell us. Tell them. Tell them we should do it. What should we do? A nine-part collaboration series on something? I was thinking some streaming service should hire us. I've thought this for a while to just collab on some kind of just broad basketball show. I don't know if we should put that out. Just come at and us. And cheese. This, and cheese. You know, I hesitate to do it, but that might be that might be the move. You know, that might be the move. We'll put it out there. Maybe it'll find the ears of someone who can. Uh, you know grease the wheels and uh get us get us a developmental deal i I take back what i said if you know someone or you work at a streaming service (laughs) or you have twitter tag a streaming service and see if this can become a reality we're gonna we're gonna put it out in the universe 10 part series basketball um we'll think of a title to come later um we're gonna Uh, do it all right, man. Thank you so much. Is there, do you want to plug anything? Is there I, your Kevin Durant video is coming out? We're all very excited about that. But uh, anything else in the meantime that you want to direct people towards? Uh, you know, if you're if you're a fan of the draft and you would like to hear some chatter about it, the Ringer has a lot of stuff up about that right now. I have. If you're a Houston fan or if you're just curious about Jalen Green, I did a deep ass dive on Jalen green uh, and watched basically every waking moment of his youth basketball life. So if you want to check that out and see some discussion on him, you can do that and follow me on Twitter at Jake Cowman. Remember you can, you can check out that. I think it's maybe one more day for the early bird pricing, but um, awesome stuff at summer league SBC sports business classroom. Check that out at sports business classroom. Uh, com and enter the promo code thinking basketball you'll get two hundred dollars off there also if you just want to directly support anything thinking basketball it's patreon.com slash thinking basketball all kinds of the, the content and the uh, series that kyle and i discussed uh that is part of it along with extra historical updates that will be coming now that the season has ended things like that patreon.com slash thinking basketball otherwise thanks for your support and your listenership is that a word listenership um, is now. for for another another season the 2021 season in the books uh and of course wherever you are out there listening i hope that you are having a great day